dishonest gain. Street of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can meet here together um, and worship you and be reminded of all that you have done for us. We ask that you would guide Andrew in what he has to say this morning, that you would be glorified and that your word would penetrate our hearts, that we would be mindful of it and that it would challenge us in the week that lies ahead. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, this morning, we're, uh, you might have guessed from our reading, we're continuing our look at deacons in the church. Um, this is a wee departure from our series in Luke's Gospel. Um, uh, and Lucas is going to be, as I mentioned earlier, he's going to be back next Sunday, and he's going to take us back into Luke's Gospel next week. So look forward to that. Um, I'm actually really glad that the Foothill team are here for, for this part of our journey as a church. Uh, they've been with us from the, the very beginning, and as I'll kind of explain in a second, like uh, structure and leadership and structure in the church is a really normal and important and good and right part of the development and growth of a church plant. And so you guys have been with us from the beginning. It's great that you get to experience and see a little bit of this next part of our journey. So thanks for being here. Um, last week, we began our study in deacons uh, by considering the appointment of the very first deacons in, in the first church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. Um, and if you're part of our church I, and you haven't heard that, I, I would recommend go, go online to the website or Spotify or whatever and listen to that sermon. This is about the future of our church, and I recommend it. That's a really good uh, place to start if you um, are part of our church. Now, here's what I want to say at this point. Um, many of you, after last Sunday, have lots of questions, and that's good. That's good and right. Like You, you love and care for our wee church. And, and so it's right that you have questions. And I want you to feel free to, to come to me and to Travis, wherever he is. And uh, he's out there uh, with the baby. Uh, come to me and Travis with your questions. We're here to guide us through this process. Um, but what I do want to say is that please remember that this is a work in progress. Now, the theology is not a work in progress. The Bible is very clear, and, and we're not changing that, that we're just working out what the Bible says. The work in process is what this will look like in our church. Um, we're leading the church in a direction that we see God leading us. Um, but this is not going to happen overnight. Uh, it's going to be a lengthy process. And as we'll see in a minute, it, it's, it's right and proper that we take our time over this and, and be deliberate and diligent. Um, I suppose what I would say is that, that we as elders will one day stand in front of Jesus and give an account for how we led our, this church and so we want to be faithful. We want to care for the church. The church is the precious bride of Christ that he bought at the price of his own blood. And so this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. God is guiding us, and, and he's guiding us at his pace. Uh, we've always prayed in village that, that God would impose his timing on us, and it comes to this as well. So, so we don't want to 
We don't want to rush ahead of him, and we don't want to drag our feet either. Um, and there's also a sense in which that this is a big shift for us. Um, and I certainly don't want to minimize that in any way. But I want to, hopefully I can offer some comfort because it's important to recognize that this is the most normal thing in the world, right? A, a church is planted. It grows. Praise God our church is growing. And, and as it grows, leadership and deacons and servants have to be appointed. This is the way of things. So, so this development is something that we're thankful for. Our church is growing. Lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel. And so appointing deacons to lead through serving is, is a great stage to be at because why? Jesus is building his church. Amen? And so as we move through this process, do be praying. Um, as Lauren mentioned, we're going to have a family meeting on, on Wednesday, the 7th of September. It is the 7th, not the 6th, right? Wednesday, the 7th of September. Um, so if you're a covenant member, save that date right now, the 7th of September. And we're going to gather together and we're going to speak into what this process looks like for us as a church and, and, and answer questions you might have. And if you'd like to, if you've been attending Village for a while and you're part of a missional community and you'd like to become a member, I'd love to talk to you about that and, and what that looks like. Um, so let's just pause for a second and pray and ask for God's help. Every time we open His Word, we want to ask for His help. His Holy Spirit would illuminate these words in our hearts. Um, so let's pray and ask for God's help before we get into 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Uh, thank you that um, your spirit uh, carries your words to our hearts. Uh, so Father, we just pray for you to illuminate our hearts today. Uh, teach us the way you lead your church. We never want to do anything that isn't from you. We don't want to go in a direction that isn't the way you're leading us. We're desperate to be as close to Jesus as possible. Uh, so help us this morning. Give us unity in the body. Give us clarity of thought. And most of all, Jesus be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so last week, uh, we arrived at our definition of deacons through Acts chapter 6. And, and if we're going to have it on the screen. Deacons serve the physical needs and protect the unity of the church in support of the elders for the advancement of God's kingdom. So that last bit is really key here. That's, that's the thing we, we hold to, right? This is all about God advancing his kingdom. The work of deacons, the work of elders, the work of everyone in the church is about God advancing his kingdom. So you might be going to detail of, of deacons and what, what, you know, that's a bit uh, in, in the minutia in the weeds. No, this is about God being glorified across the world. And what we saw, that the office of deacons is, is different from that of elders, right? They, they lead in two different ways. So uh, we ha remember this quote we had from H.B. Charles, and, and he says that the elders, sorry, deacons lead by serving and elders serve by leading. So there's a key distinction there. Deacons lead by serving and elders uh, serve by leading. And last week, it was kind of more of a look on the side of, of what deacons do. But today, we're going to focus on who deacons are. Um, and while it's clear that the what is really important, and that was a really good place to start, the who is even more important. It's right and good that we've been, we have a strong and clear focus on the character of deacons, because in this, there is a picture of the gospel, right? Uh, because the gospel is not about what we do, right? The gospel is never about what we do, because what we do is rubbish. The gospel is about what's in our hearts, and this is reflected in what Paul tells us about who should be deacons and elders in the church. And if we put it quite simply, we see that character is more important than gifting. Always. 
Character is more important than gifting. And this is not just true of elders. It's not just true of deacons. It's true of every single believer. God is far more concerned about our hearts than our abilities. Um, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, when God sends the prophet Samuel to uh, find and anoint the new king of Israel, he goes to Jesse, and Jesse has all these sons, and they're big strapping lads, or, you know, and they're good-looking guys, and, and, and he's trying to say, which one, God, are you leading me to? And God says, he, he tells him, don't look for the things that the world looks for, because he says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks in the heart. God's looking for his leaders like he was in King David, people whose hearts are right. And this is not just for leaders in the church. This is for everyone who follows Jesus. It doesn't matter how good and pious and holy our outward lives are if our hearts aren't right. Living lives of holiness as we follow Jesus should be an outworking of what's going on in here. This means that just because somebody is capable of doing a job doesn't mean that they're automatically qualified to hold the office of deacon in the church. Sam, I, 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 was, trying to think, I was trying to think of an example. I was like, I'll think of someone that doesn't have the name in the church. Then, of course, there is a Sam here this morning. So I'm not talking about you, Sam. I'm just talking about Sam. Sam uh, might be uh, the, the, the most talented handyman in the whole church. Like, he's one of those guys who can fix everything. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's qualified to be a deacon. Or Siobhan might be a chartered accountant and she's really good with figures and numbers and money, but that doesn't automatically mean that she's qualified to be a deacon in the church. When it comes to biblical qualifications for elders and deacons, in fact, in fact when it comes to all Christians, what is in our hearts is more important than what we do. Character is more important than gifting. And this is the basis for what Paul writes to Timothy about who should be deacons in 1 Timothy 3. Here in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter. This is basically what most of our New Testament is, is letters. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not a private letter. It's not a pen pal kind of letter. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy as he leads the church. And it's a letter that, that is written to be a public document for the good of the wider church, which includes us. This is what he says in chapter 1, verse 28. He says, what I'm writing to you, Timothy, is applicable everywhere. That includes us. And he's writing to instruct him on how the church should be structured and how it should function and how it should be led. He says in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 that we didn't read, but he says, I am writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This is what we should do, how we ought to behave. In other words, God is speaking through the Apostle Paul, giving us instruction through this letter to Timothy on how the church should be set up. And in chapter 3 here, he focuses on what makes people eligible to be elders or deacons within the church. Now, when we read this list of qualifications for deacons, alongside the first uh, seven verses of the, the chapter, uh, the qualifications for elders, um, it's interesting to notice that the qualifications are exactly the same except for two things. The only two extra qualifications for eldership are that they shouldn't be a brand new convert and they should be able to teach. And this comes back to the character thing, and it comes back to the distinction between the two roles. The character for both is the same, but the distinction between the roles, deacons are not elders. And being a deacon is not a stepping stone to becoming a pastor in the church. And if we treat it this way, we're not only misreading God's word, but we're also missing out on a beautiful and amazing gift that God gives to his church. 
Acts 6 shows a clear distinction between the office of elders who have the task of preaching and praying. Remember this idea of, of they, they deacon the word. They, they serve the word to the church. That's what elders are called to. While the office of deacons deal with the physical needs, the, 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 the justice needs, the, the unity concerns of the church. So elders ought to be qualified as being able to teach the words, the word, but, but deacons don't have to necessarily have that qualification. There is a distinction between these two offices. And the other thing to point out here is about these qualifications is that this is not some super high standard that only leaders in the church are called to, okay? That's our mistake when we read these things. We're like, well, I'm not a deacon, so I can just pass over that bit. That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, all of these qualifications here in 1 Timothy 3, 3 to 18, he mentions in his letter to the Ephesians, all through that book, right? And not just to the deacons or the elders, but to the whole church in Ephesus. These are non-negotiable characteristics of deacons, but these are things that all Christians aspire to. So as we go through them here in a second, please don't glaze over. Don't be thinking, oh, this is not for me. I'm not a deacon. These are the standards that ordinary Christians should live to. Paul has given us a picture of how we all should live as we follow Jesus. Uh, Matt Smethurst, in his wee book on deacons, he, he puts it this way. He said, deacons must embody the kind of character expected of all Christians, but they should be exemplary in the ordinary. You see how this works? These qualifications are for all of us. They're, they're the standards of, of what it means to follow Jesus, but deacons are the ones who are the examples of how we follow Jesus. Deacons have the characteristics that all Christians should have, and because of this, they can lead us through their service. So what are these characteristics? Well, the first thing that Paul mentions here is that deacons must be dignified. We see this in verse 8. Deacons must be dignified. If we could, I think that's on the screen there. This speaks to their character and the way they live their lives. Now, maybe when we think of dignified, what do we think of? Uh, maybe we think of like a dignitary, like a princess or a, you know, a, a king or some kind of... Um, um, emissary or something like that with the fancy clothes and somber demeanor and being dignified and all that kind of stuff or um, maybe we think of those kind of things but what Paul is referring to here is much deeper than that this word literally means worthy of respect it means someone who is worthy of respect these are the kinds of people you, you look up to and respect not because of their position but because of who they are and how they live their lives right Paul isn't saying that they have to be perfect, but they are people who are humble, who have integrity, who are repentant, who live lives that practice what they preach. Their character makes them easy to follow. Uh, now, I get a hard time because I use the same analogies over and over again in my sermon. So here's another one that I've used before. Uh, my favorite one of my favorite TV shows, Band of Brothers, right? You familiar with this? It follows... Uh, Parachute regiment, a unit in the parachute regiment in, in World War II. And, and their commanding officer is a real-life man. There's a true story called Captain Winters. And, and, and all the guys in the unit respect him. And even uh, up until they all died, when these were old men, they would talk about this man and how much they respected him and would follow him. And they respect him and speak highly of him. They gladly follow him into battle after battle not because of he is their officer, but because of his character. He's in the trenches with them. He doesn't blink before putting himself into danger for them. The way he lives his life and treats his men makes him worthy of respect. This is how deacons will be. 
Deacons will be worthy of respect, not because they have been given a position in the church, but because their lives demonstrate their character. In other words, deacons aren't worthy of respect because of the office they hold. Rather, they hold the office because they are worthy of respect. Let me say that again. Deacons aren't worthy of respect because of the office they hold. Rather, they hold the office because they are worthy of respect. And when it comes to our church and putting this into practice, the people who will serve as deacons will be dignified in this way because character is far more important than gifting. It will be a joy to follow our deacons because of who they are and how they live their lives. So with this in mind, this is the first thing that Paul says about deacons. And then he goes on to flesh out what this looks like with, with specific characteristics that sum up being worthy of respect. This is like the, the umbrella which sits over. He says, they're going to be worthy of respect. Now, let me show you in practical terms what this means. And in these six verses, he, he, gives, uh, he, he gives us uh, six characteristics divided up into three negatives. So the, the do nots or don't be like this and, and six or three positives. That the do's be like this. And the first one we see in verse 8 is that deacons are not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Now, this just means that being double-tongued is when you consciously say one thing to someone and then turn around and say something different to another person. It's hypocritical. It's divisive. Divisive? Divisive? I'm not sure. Divisive. What Paul's saying here is that those who lead by serving as deacons will have control over what they say. This basically means that they will be able to, to keep com things confidential. They won't gossip. They won't slander others. Now, because deacons serve the church and, and interact with lots of people in the church, they're undoubtedly going to come, up, uh, come into contact again and again with some people who maybe complain and grumble. Uh, they, the deacons are kind of on the coal face, if you like, on the front line, and they'll often be the ones who are confronted with and, and spend time with the people who are struggling people who are disgruntled, even people who gossip. But crucial to the work of protecting the unity of the church, like we saw last Sunday, deacons will, of course, be compassionate. But at the same time, they will be on guard against anything that causes division in Christ's body. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say this, there is no place for gossip in our church, okay? There's just no place for it. If you hear it, put a stop to it. If you do it, stop it. Gossip is the work of the devil that he uses to tear churches apart. And we're vulnerable. We're a toddler church. We're susceptible. And Satan will do anything he can to get a foothold. But good deacons won't leave the door open for him. So deacons will people who don't take part in gossip and in fact work to put a stop to it. Encouragement rather than complaining is what comes out of their mouths. I said this last week, but it's worth repeating. Deacons won't cut you down with their criticism. They'll build you up with their encouragement. And what I would say is actually, we all feel the temptation of, of wanting to share things that we've heard, don't we? Especially if that gives, you know, gives other people the impression that we're in the know. 
You know, you hear something, and, and, and if you share it with someone, it means that, oh, they think that you're in some kind of position, or you're in the inner circle, or with all these kind of crazy lies that the devil feeds us. We all feel this temptation. Deacons will be the ones who resist this temptation and say, no, they don't share gossip. They keep things confidential. They never slander. They don't share the failures and sins of their brothers and sisters. Deacons will have control over what they say. They're not double-tongued. Now, secondly, Paul says that deacons will not be an addict. Deacons won't be addicts. Paul says in verse 8, they will not be addicted to much wine. This doesn't mean that you can be addicted to a little bit of wine. (laughs) This means that you're just going to have control over how much you drink, right? Now, uh, that that may be, I was reading that this week. I was like, can you be addicted to a little bit of wine? I don't know. Um, But not only deacons, they're not only controlled in their speech, They're controlled in their bodily appetites, okay? Um, This clearly prohibits drunkenness, but it also challenges anything that would enslave a deacon's heart or, crucially, impair their judgment. Uh, One of the fruits of of the Holy Spirit is self-control, and it's vital that deacons live out the fruit of the Spirit as they exemplify what it means to follow Jesus. They will be self-controlled people. The only thing that we are to be enslaved to is Jesus. And as deacons live out this standard, they will be the kind of people who don't indulge needless cravings. They don't abuse substances. They control their bodily appetites and urging so as not to, to hinder their service to the church or mess up their witness to Jesus. So Paul says deacons will not be addicted to, to wine, but he also says that they won't be addicted to money. This is what we see in the, in the next qualification is that deacons will not be greedy. This is another outworking of, of being worthy of respect and, and living out a self-controlled life. As deacons carry out the work of serving the church, they will have opportunity to come into contact with church money. Um, and so Paul warns against appointing deacons who, who are uh, money grabbers. And just because someone is a successful business person uh, and a Christian doesn't necessarily always mean that they've uh, found their success through pure uh, means with integrity. And we need to be careful that deacons are not the kind of people who are deceptive or cut corners or obsess over money. I mentioned that gossip will tear a church apart. The other thing that will tear a church apart is money, right? And so we need to be on our guard. We need people we can trust to lead in this way. And listen, it's not just people who have money who are tempted to be obsessed with it. It's often people who aspire to have more money than they do they're obsessed with it. I'll admit, that's one of my temptations. But deacons will not be like this. Deacons will be the kind of people whose treasure is in heaven. They can be rich or poor. Remember what Paul says in, in Philippians 4. He says this, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This is how deacons will think about material, their material lives, right? These are people who place little value on the material things of the world. Their real treasure is knowing Jesus and being with him forever. The main effort and work of their lives is not, is not their careers and not material or financial gain, but working for the kingdom, serving those in need, sharing the gospel, leading people from death to life in Jesus. Deacons will be self-controlled in the area of money. 
deacons will be the kind of person that if you give them money for the offering, you don't even have a slight thought for a split second that not all of it will get to the church. They will handle church money with care and diligence and integrity and honesty. It all adds up to being worthy of respect, doesn't it? So that's the first three negatives. They won't be double-tongued, they won't be an addict, and they won't be greedy. Then Paul goes on to list three positives, three things that deacons will be. And the first one of those is that deacons will know and live the gospel. Deacons will know and live the gospel. Listen to verse 9. What does he say? He says, they must, they, that's the deacons, must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, you could kind of go, maybe you're tempted to think, uh, well, you know, deacons carry out the practical work, so they don't really need to know doctrine, do they? Uh, you, you know, they don't really need to know their Bible. Sure, the elders are responsible for all the theological side and teaching the Bible, so why would deacons have to worry about that? And while we really want to be careful not to confuse the roles of, of elders and deacons, deacons aren't exempt from knowing the Bible. As they go about leading through serving, deacons are going to have loads of opportunities to speak scriptural truth into people's lives. For example, if someone on the hospitality team says, why do we even need to welcome people? <laughs> then the deacon needs to be able to, to, a deacon serving that ministry will need to be able to give a biblical and gospel answer why we, why we welcome people. Matt Smithers, again, in his little book on deacons, says, the, the question is not whether deacons will be theologians, it's whether they will be good ones. No. This doesn't mean that they have to be the most knowledgeable Bible scholars in the church, but it does mean that they will have a deep, deep love for God's Word, and they will live every aspect of their lives according to what God says. When Paul says the word mystery here, they will hold the mystery of the faith. and, And Paul loves using that word. He uses it a lot, actually. But he doesn't mean the same as when we use the word mystery, right? For us, mystery is something that's hidden or unknown. Um, like you think of a murder mystery, you have to guess who done it. Or you think of the big questions of like the mysteries of the universe. And this week, we saw a picture of the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way. It was incredible. Um, I love that. Space, there's another one if you're playing bingo this morning. Um, but when we think of mysteries, we tend to think of things that are unknown or out of our reach. But, but what, when Paul uses the word mystery, he means a divine truth that was once hidden that has now been revealed. Okay? Something that was once hidden that has now been revealed. So in the Old Testament, the, the mystery was, how can God forgive sins? Sure, he had sacrifices and, uh, but, and, and offerings, but they would deal with sin only on a temporary basis. The mystery remained, how can God deal with sin once and for all? And this mystery has been made, in the cross, uh, has been made clear, has been revealed in the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus has opened up this mystery. The mystery is that God forgives sin through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And so the mystery here that Paul is referring to is the gospel. Deacons will hold the gospel with a clear conscience. This means two things. It means that they will know the gospel and they will live the gospel. Deacons will have a good understanding of God, humanity, Christ, salvation. They will be able to explain the gospel simply. Deacons will be hungry to read and study God's word in, in order to keep increasing their knowledge of the gospel. The gospel will have a, a deep root in their hearts. They will allow the gospel to shape their lives. 
Anyone who is embarrassed uh, by gospel truth or ashamed of what the Bible says uh, about certain issues isn't yet ready to be a deacon. And when Paul says that they must hold the faith with a clear conscience, he means that the knowledge of the gospel will be lived out in their lives, right? You see, it's not enough to have tons of Bible knowledge if it doesn't influence how we live. To put it simply, we can say that deacons will practice what they preach. It's not enough to know what is true, we must live what is true. And a deacon's faith needs to be healthy. And listen, we can all ask ourselves this morning, does our outward life as Christians match what is going on in our hearts? Is our private life the same as our public life? Are our lives informed by Scripture? Remember, this is not just something for deacons. Deacons must have these things, but these are things that we all aspire to. Deacons will both know and live the gospel. Next thing we see is that deacons will be tested and proven. We see this in verse 10. Uh, there was a story in the news this week, I don't know if you saw it, um, about a plane flying from Florida to, from the Bahamas to Florida, I think. And during flight, the pilot blacked out. It was a small plane. Did you see this? And then this guy who had no flying experience whatsoever uh, got on the radio, took the controls, and landed the plane in Florida. Like, it was incredible. It was like something from a, something from a movie, right? Um, now, imagine if you're getting on your flight in July to go on your holidays off down to Mallorca or whatever for two weeks, and you're climbing up the steps, and you meet the pilot, and he's like, how you doing? He's like, yeah, actually, it's my first day. I've never flown a plane before. No experience whatsoever. Would you get on that plane? No, you would not get on that plane. You'd be absolutely mad to. I want my pilot to be the most well-trained, the most qualified pilot out there, right? I want my pilot to be Neil Armstrong or something, you know? In the same way, Paul says, don't let untested or unproven people be deacons in your church. Don't put people in a position of leadership without proper preparation. And if you do, you could end in a plane crash. Character is more important than gifting. And so let those who serve as deacons be proven to be biblically qualified according to these standards here. Now, Paul doesn't give us exact instructions for what this testing and proving should look like. I think that this is down to each church to, to use their own wisdom and our own discernment according to the Bible in the best way to do this prayerfully. But what is clear is that deacons should go through a season of testing. Um, and these are the things that we as elders are working through right now, what exactly this process looks like for us. We already have a robust process for elders in place. Travis went through that uh, last year and, and we installed him as an elder in February or March. Can't remember already. But what I can tell you is that deacons in our church will be tested and proven. We will have an equipping process. Listen, Here's one of the things that over the last few weeks I've been studying this stuff. I can't get away from the fact that the church is precious. The church is precious. Like Jesus loves us so much. I think about how much I love my wife and that's nothing compared to how much he loves his bride. Like he died for us. And we want to be careful in how we treat her. And so I will tell you that deacons in our church will be tested and proven. Finally then, we see that deacons should have a faithful family life. 
This is the sixth qualification here, and, and one that Paul goes into a lot of detail on, probably because a, de- a deacon's godliness must begin with their closest relationships in the family and in the home. It's no good being a, a, a Christian in the church, a faithful Christian in the church, with the appearance of that, if you're not faithful in your home life, right? We can't, be, we can't be different and have different standards at church than we do at home. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, if I were to stand up here week after week and preach mercy and grace, and then you came to my house and saw me treating my wife and my kids with contempt, not being able to say sorry or not being forgiven, being grumpy and angry all the time, what would that say to you about my character? That's not being worthy of respect. But it's easy to respect someone who is the same with everyone in their lives, right? It's, it, it, there's no greater proof of what a person is like than the way they are in private in their homes. And Paul gives us two verses to this whole family life side of things, verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, we see instruction for female deacons, and in verse 12, we see instruction for male deacons. Uh, let's, let's read it again, and I'll do, do some explaining. He says in verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, there's that word again, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now let's pause here for a second and address verse 11. As I read these verses, our translation that we use here, the ESV, the English Standard, uh, says their wives. But maybe in your Bible, you'll notice a little uh, footnote that says this can be translated as the women. So what's going on here is that the word that Paul uses here is, can be used to mean uh, wives or women. And it's, it's down to the context of his writing to, to help us know which one Paul is talking about. Now, just to be clear, I am happy and confident that Paul is saying the women. I think that Paul is addressing female deacons, and the Bible is clear that women can and should lead the church in the office of deacon. And here's why I think this. Firstly, Paul says in verse 11, likewise. Now, if he was continuing to talk about the men and, and, and just their family and home life, he wouldn't need to say likewise. It makes more sense to me that, that Paul is saying, here's some qualifications for deacons to be dignified, uh, be sober, and, and all that kind of thing. And then he says, deaconesses, likewise, female deacons, should also be dignified, have control of their tongues, and be sober and faithful. Secondly, in this list of elder qualifications, Paul doesn't give clear instructions for elders' wives. Now, if elders, and the Bible is really clear on this, and and Paul is really clear on this, if elders are the ones who carry the weight of the church, hold ultimate responsibility for the church, the ones who will stand in front of Jesus and give an account for the church... Why, wouldn't he address, why would he address deacons' wives and not elders' wives? That doesn't make logical sense. What does make sense is that he is addressing women who are deacons. And the third and final reason why I think he is talking about deacons and female deacons and not male deacons' wives is because there was here and there has always been female deacons in the church. We see this in Romans 16, verse 1. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he is, is great, and in his greetings right, to the church, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, literally deacon. It's the same word that we looked at last week at the church in Century. The apostle Paul addresses Phoebe as a deacon in the church. We know from Philippians chapter 1 that by this point, uh, 
deacon was a uh, recognized office in the church. And clearly, Phoebe was serving in this capacity. And so if Paul is commanding a female deacon in Romans 16, why would he in 1 Timothy be addressing um, male deacon's wives and not female deacons? You see, see what I mean? The church has, from its very earliest days, had women who lead by serving as deacons in the church. We see this, I'm looking at the time, but I'll tell the story anyway. We see this in church history outside the Bible as well. In the year 112 AD, Pliny the Younger was a Roman governor, and he's doing his business, and he's interrogating church members. And he records, um, he records interrogating two deacons in the church, and they're both women. And we have their names. And not only this, this is what I love, they're actually slaves. I love this. They, they are two women, which is bad enough in those days. They're two slaves, which is even worse. And they're serving and leading the church as deacons. Isn't that wonderful? So I am confident that women can and should serve as deacons in the church, leading through serving. And here in, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 11, Paul is addressing the female deacons. So what we can do here is take verses 11 as, as a restating of these qualifications of deacons as being the same for women. He's saying, here, deacons, be like this. But then he's also saying, hey, and if you're a female deacon, you also need to be like this. You need to be dignified. Read it. You need to be dignified. You need to be not slanderous. You need to be self-controlled in your speech. You need to, you need to be self-controlled in your life. You need to be faithful. And this faithfulness then he extends to family and home life in verse 12. If deacons are married, being faithful to your spouse is extremely important. Remember, deacons exemplify the ordinary life of following Jesus. And, and marriage is a picture of how Christ loves the church. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. In fact, he calls that a mystery too. The mystery of the gospel is revealed as marriages live out how Christ loves his bride. So faithfulness in marriage is incredibly important for deacons. The same with married deacons who are raising children. Deacons raise their children with a gentle firmness. They love their children by training and disciplining them well. How they manage and handle their family and home life is an indication of how they will manage and handle their responsibilities in the church. Now this point can't be overstated. There is no area of a deacon's life that will not be shaped by the gospel. That should be the, the same for every single believer. Deacons don't compartmentalize their Christian life from their secular life. It's all the same. It's all one. It should be that way for all of us. Deacons recognize and submit to the authority and lordship of Jesus in every area of their lives. Let me say that again. Deacons recognize and submit to the authority and lordship of Jesus in every area of their lives. Now think about this. We've looked, we've gone through a lot of information there this morning. As we move forward and the, and the Lord grows his church, aren't these the kinds of people you want leading us? Like, why would you not want these people? Why would you, you not want to follow uh, women and men who are worthy of respect? Don't you want to be led by people who aren't double-tongued or addicted to anything or are greedy? Don't you want to be led by people who know and live the gospel? People who have been proven and tested. People who are faithful in their home and private lives. 
Because these are the kinds of people that God wants leading his church. Remember, it's his church, it's his mission, and it's for his glory. The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And our wee local church here in South Belfast is simply playing our part in our corner of the world of God advancing his kingdom across the globe. So, of course, we must have the right people leading. Now, Paul finishes this section on deacons with a promise. Look at verse 13. He says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the work of deacons is hard, okay? And it's sometimes thankless. It doesn't always come with a platform or recognition. But the promise for those who serve well as deacons is a twofold reward. They will receive respect and they will receive boldness. They will receive respect from their brothers and sisters in the church. Now, like we saw, that's not why we do it. But I think this speaks to us who will, it speaks to how we will treat and think of our deacons. How will we honor and care for the deacons in our church? Will we respect them and honor them? Will we be a joy to lead because we're willing to serve? But the other reward comes from God. They will receive a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And here's what's happening here. As deacons serve faithfully with all the characteristics that Paul mentions here, They will become emboldened in their faith. They will see and experience God at work in all the tiny ways within the church, all the ways that that we don't get to see a lot. And this will bolster their confidence in what Jesus is doing. I I know this from my experience of of being an elder and a pastor in the church. I I feel like I get to see how God is working in tiny little ways all across our, our church family. And it's incredible. Deacons likewise get almost like a front row seat in what Jesus is doing in his church. And that's a great privilege, isn't it? So where does this leave us? Well, as we move forward in this development in our church, be praying. Do. If you love our church, be praying for wisdom for the elders. Be praying for the future deacons. Be praying for the needs of our church to be met by men and women who are biblically qualified to hold this office. Be ready to encourage and bless and honor those who do become deacons. But most of all, look to Jesus. This is what we always do, isn't it? We look to Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And only in Jesus do we see the true fulfillment of all of those characteristics listed out there. And I want to finish this morning with the same thought that I finished with last week. And I'm making no apologies for that. Matthew 28, verse 28. Here's what Jesus says about himself. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. Jesus didn't come to have other people serve him. He came to serve us. He is our ultimate example of servanthood. And this is something that not just if you aspire in deacons should think about, but all of us need to consider this. 
He lowered himself. He emptied himself. He humbled himself to serve us. And as we follow our deacon, we become like him. And as he serves, we will serve. We are all called to become servants, not just those who hold the office of deacons. And how has Jesus most served us? He gave his life as a ransom for many. That's you, that's me. Jesus gave his life for you. His life of service culminated in his ultimate service of dying on a cross, taking on the punishment for our sin, so that instead of death, we can have life. Listen, when we think about, we're, we're, the only reason we're thinking about deacons and, 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 and structuring our church in all these kind of uh, detailed ways is because Jesus gave his life for us. That's all we have. That's all any of us have. But in having that, we have everything, don't we? And listen, I want to say, if, if you're with us this morning and, and, and you haven't trusted Jesus, can I just say to you that Jesus gave his life for you? And, and there's many people, he'll come in our lives, he'll say, I would die for you, but Jesus has done it. He's done, he's given his life for you so that instead of death, you can have life. Instead of punishment, you can go free. So, so please, can I invite you to consider Jesus? He loves you, he died for you, so why not accept him? And as we as a church uh, consider this new part of our journey as a church plant, let's continually look to him. We're gonna keep looking to Jesus, right? That's all we ever do. We look to Jesus. We have nothing without Jesus. He is our greatest servant and he leads us by serving us. And so we follow his example. We let our lives and our church be shaped always by his ultimate service, his death on the cross. Amen? Come Holy Spirit, let's pray. Then we in the band can up back up. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's contained in it. We pray that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, Father, I prayed this last week. I pray again. We don't want to go anywhere that you're not leading us. We want to recognize that we are your church. It's your mission, and it's for your glory. So, Father, we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. We recognize that he is the king of kings. We recognize that we serve him. And Father, as we consider what it looks like to appoint deacons, lead servants in our church, Lord, we, we ask that you would keep us faithful to your word, that we would keep us faithful to your plan, we keep us faithful.